Well, we are continuing our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, our alternate series that we do um, every so often. We're working through the various fruits of the Spirit. And as I was preparing for this message, I, I found myself thinking back to my high school days. And so uh, some of you guys, and maybe gals, might know that to a young man, a car is a really big deal. Right. Okay. So, so the, my first car was a '78 Chevy Nova, and that might mean something to you. It might not. But it had a three-on-the-tree manual transmission. Yeah. Okay. Some of you guys know that. Man, that was just weird for me. Yeah. First car too. So it was really rough. But uh, I, I spent a whole lot of time tricking it out, wrecking it, tricking it out again, wrecking it again. And I tell you, I was a horrible driver. Some would say I still am. And but to, to a young man. Going to school in a car could, can be really stressful because what if, what if I park next to a car that's not as cool as mine or that's cooler than mine and my car doesn't look so cool all of a sudden, right? So then I park next to this car that's looking really awesome and I'm thinking, okay, so I need to trick out my, my fender and get a custom grill on the front. Okay, that'll look better. And then it's a little better than their car. And then I get some mag wheels and that looks a little better. And then I tint the windows. And, and then I thought, wait a minute, this is a lot of effort, why don't I just park next to cars that aren't quite as cool as mine? <laughs> so, so I would drive the student parking lot, and I would look, and I would look for an empty spot next to a car, not just not really a dumpy car, because then it's obvious that I'm trying to make my car look better, but a, a car that's just sort of almost but not quite as cool as mine, you know? And that way, when, when people see me walking from school to my car, they go, wow, he's got a cool car. Not because it's cool, but because it's cooler than the other car, right? So that's, and, and I'm not saying that that is a virtue that I'm proud of. That's, that, was my, that was my high school experience, part of it, and, you know, the Lord's been growing me since then. And if you've seen my car recently, you'll know that I'm not that way anymore. <laughs> I've got family, and, you know, that's a whole different issue with cars. But I thought about that because as we look at goodness today, I want us to understand how not to view goodness. Goodness is not simply a lack of unbadness. Just like my car is not uh, cool because it's cooler, right? So um, as we get into that thought, let's begin by reading in Galatians 5, through 23, as we see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So then, of course, we would need to figure out what is goodness. And as I pointed out, it is not simply a lack of unbadness. Right? Now, we might agree with that, but the reality is that we, whoops, I'll stand here. The reality is that uh, we often think that way, right? Well, I'm, I'm a good person because I'm not as bad as that person, right? So mentally, we're parking our, ourself next to someone that's just a little bit worse than us. So um, yeah, I, I might not be as great as Mother Teresa. I would never park next to her, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, maybe I'll park next to this guy or this guy because they make me feel better about myself because they're not as good as I am. But 
that's looking at it from a completely wrong vantage point. We need to have a positive movement towards goodness, not just a negative movement away from badness. You can be as unbad as you want, but that doesn't mean that you are good. When we talk about God, we don't say, you know what, God is so unbad. <laughs> no, God is so good. He has positive characteristics towards goodness. And he wants to plant those positive characteristics in us. Now, it might help to look at the way the, uh, the world might define goodness and then the way that uh, the Bible defines God's goodness. So, um, at best, the, the world might define goodness as a positive moral quality characterized especially by an interest in the welfare of others. Notice a positive moral quality, meaning it moves towards that moral quality. It, it's active, not passive. It's good, not simply unbad. And I know unbad is bad grammar, so my, my grammar is not unbad. <laughs> so my, my wife made me put quotes around certain terms to, to make sure that the grammar was okay. So, all right, so a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. If, if we think of someone as good, then oftentimes that's because we have experienced their goodness in our lives towards us. And so I, I gave you a spot in your handout where I'd like for you to, to take a moment and think of a person who, in your estimation, this is just a good person. They possess goodness. And the thing about that is, it's hard to say, okay, so the, what, what is goodness? I, I think sometimes it's best defined or at least understood by, uh, by looking at its fruit. So and here we are in a series, The Fruits of the Spirit, but what is the fruit of goodness? Goodness as a definition is kind of hard to put your finger on. It's kind of squishy. But if, if we say, well, I see goodness in this person as evidenced by this or that or the other, now all of a sudden we can comprehend what goodness means in the real world. So think of that person who, in, in your mind, it's like, yeah, that person's just a good person. And jot down a few virtues or characteristics about that person that, in your mind, uh, make, make them good. So I'll give you a minute, and I'm not going to test you on it. So uh, I, just, I want you to, to think, to really wrap your mind around what does it mean to be good. For me, the person I think of, uh, my family calls him Papa Dave. Um, when, when I was in a stage of life when I did not have a dad, God put Papa Dave in my life. He was my junior high youth leader and Max junior high youth leader. And um, uh, he did not have any biological kids of his own. And God gave us to each other. And, and he, uh, my kids call him Papa Dave because he's part of the family. He's got his own room at our house when he comes and visits. And he's, he's another one of the grandparents of the kids. And he possesses goodness. Now, if I were to describe that goodness to you, I would, I would use other virtues. I would say, well, he's, he's faithful, he's loyal, he's 
Uh, He's selfless in the way that he treats other people. Uh, He's responsible in the way that he uh, manages his life and uh, does that so that he can be a benefit to other people. So we understand goodness more clearly when we look at how how it blooms in someone's life. And I don't know about you, but that person that that you wrote down, uh, I want to be like that. I want to be like Papa Dave in someone's life where I can be a blessing to them and and inspire them towards the Lord, uh, as evidenced by goodness in my life. So what about God? What about goodness in God? There are a few passages that we're going to look at this morning that will really help understand the goodness of God. And the first one would be Mark chapter 10. So you can grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you if you didn't bring one with you. If you don't have one to call your own, feel free to take that with you. It's not stealing because we would give it to you for free. So Mark chapter 10. This is the story of the rich young ruler... So it begins in verse 17. As Jesus was setting, it says he, he being Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I've always thought that was ironic because Jesus is God. (laughs) So the guy actually got it right, maybe without even knowing. So then what is Jesus doing there? Kind of reprimanding him, right? I mean, kind of calls him out on some some flattery, perhaps. Like, oh, good teacher. Oh, you're such a great guy. Tell me, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus just goes right around that question and addresses the guy's heart and says, hey, um, only God is good. Don't go around calling people good just to get something out of them. And, and so um, Jesus says, only God is good. Only God is good. And in his goodness, I, I really want you to understand, God did not have to do anything or add anything or change anything about himself to be good. He always has been good. He always will be good. God possesses inherently the characteristic of goodness. It comes from him alone. Any good that we see in the world can be traced back to him because he is good. And it comes from only him alone. Only God is good, Jesus said. And it's interesting, as the story goes on, um, Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he lists off some of them. And the, the guy says, oh, I've done all that. And so Jesus doesn't say, oh, good job then. Go, go on your way. You have eternal life. No. Jesus says, oh, well, then there's one other thing you're lacking. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. And the word says that the the rich young ruler went away sad because he was a man of great possessions. And so 
Jesus maybe calls him on his flattery and calls him on that which was in his heart, on the throne of his heart, where Jesus should have been, and says, you need to get rid of that and make room for me. We can't have God's goodness in us if we don't make room for it in us. And we'll talk a bit more about that later on. So uh, what the Bible teaches about God's goodness, it comes from God alone. And everything that comes from God is good, right? So that would include creation and mankind. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God created everything, he created the the solar system, he created the stars, he created the earth, he separated you know, all the, the land and the sea, and he made the birds of the air and the, the fish of the sea, and he put life on this planet. And, and after every day, he says, it, is, it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But after everything, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So what God made was very good. Creation is good. I, uh, Mark and I went on a bike ride uh, Thursday uh, in the middle of the day, and we, we were up in kind of west of Ridgefield-ish. I don't know exactly where we were because I was following him because I get lost really easy. But, but we, we got to this top of a hill. Well, he was at the top of the hill looking, and I was panting, chasing him. And I finally got there, and I wanted to just go down the hill and, you know, recover. But he was stopped, and he was just looking. So I pulled up next to him, and I looked, and, and he said, look at that. And there was Mount St. Helens. And then off in the background, there was Mount Rainier. We could see just kind of peeking through there. How beautiful that was. Wow. And then I thought, wow, I wonder what that mountain looked like with its top on it. Because <laughs> I, I, I was young when the top blew, so I, I don't have any memories of it. I've seen pictures of what it looked like. But what just God's creation is good. It's so beautiful, especially when it's sunny like this. We don't, we don't feel that way when it's rainy necessarily, but, but God's creation is good. We can enjoy his goodness in the world around us. And we, humans, people, are good, right? But now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said only God is good. Well, yeah, but he made us in his image and we are to reflect his goodness, just as creation reflects his goodness. See, I don't have goodness in and of myself. Creation doesn't have goodness in and of itself. We draw goodness from God. Just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, um, I, I reflect his goodness. You reflect his goodness. And so in, in Psalm 139, this very famous, beautiful psalm uh, where David is speaking of um, of himself, of the way he is made. Um, he says, uh, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, I can stand here and tell you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm not being prideful and saying, oh, look at how fearfully and wonderfully made I am. <laughs> no, but I'm made in his image. God designed me. God designed you. And, and you and I, we reflect his goodness in the world. Even though we've sinned, even though the, his creation has been corrupted, even though sin entered into the world, we can still reflect his goodness. We can still see his goodness reflected in creation. So goodness comes only from God, 
and everything that God does is good. So that's pretty simple, straightforward, right? Okay, so then why is there so much junk in the world? Right? I mean, we can say, yeah, okay, God is good, and everything God does is good. Well, then, why, why is there so much? Uh, I, I went to Mission Connect uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were, uh, they're one of the pieces of information they were trying to get out there is all the sex trafficking in India. We have, we have moms selling their kids to the sex industry. And God is good. And then to bring it local, we have kids who are without their mom, like a drive-by shooting or a, a, a hit and run uh, that happened over at uh, the Vancouver Mall area recently. But God is good. Anyone else uncomfortable with that? And you can look at your own story. I can look at my own story. And I can say, wow, okay, God, you're good. Your word says it, so I believe it. But when I look at my life and I see this painful experience and this painful experience and this tragedy and this hopeless, uh, I don't get it, God. I, I choose to believe that you're good, but... Sometimes my heart gets confused about it. So let's address that issue, right? That a, a lot of people, a lot of philosophers, uh, Christian and not, um, have spent a whole lot of time and effort uh, on that issue of, of defending God's goodness in light of the existence of evil. The theory goes, if God is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing, then he must not be good because there's so much evil in the world. So either he's not good or maybe he's not all-powerful because he can't do something about the goodness. Or maybe he's not all-knowing because he doesn't know about the goodness. But if he did know, he might do something. So people hold those three data points up, the God's all-powerfulness, his all-knowingness, and his goodness, and they say that, that's bad math. It doesn't work. But there's a fourth data point in there that, uh, that is often neglected. And that idea is that if God is, is big enough for me to be angry at for allowing evil to exist, then he must be good enough to have a reason for allowing that that I don't understand. So let's look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter. It got heavy real quick all of a sudden, didn't it? <laughs> I apologize for that. Romans chapter 2. And beginning in verse 4. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, so that verse there is implying that, that we are being presumptuous or taking for granted God's patience, kindness, his goodness, his, uh, the fact that, that he hasn't destroyed me because I have sinned against him. Right? 
which God is, God is just, and so he, he will judge evil. And so if evil exists and it doesn't get judged, then people think, oh, I got off scot-free. I can, I can go be evil and God's not going to judge me because I was evil and God didn't judge me. That's, and Paul's saying that's the wrong perspective. That's completely the wrong perspective because God's patience in not destroying me when I sin against him, it, it's not patience that says, oh, go do it some more. Sure, no problem. It's patience that says, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to repent. I'm going to give you a chance to turn from that towards me. And so he goes on and uh, says, because you're hard and impatient, that's a good word, impenitent. It basically means um, not willing to change. Um, because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, there will be a day when evil reaps what it has sown. There will be a day when those people who are engaged in the sex trafficking industry or that guy who uh, was involved in that hit and run and hasn't come forward. God will judge evil. And when, when, we, when we don't reap the immediate um, reward of our evil, then it's almost as though we are putting that wrath in the bank and it's collecting interest. And there will come a day when God says, okay, time's up. Now, thanks be to God that he has given us a way to escape that wrath. Because I don't know about you, but my account of wrath that I deserve, that I have earned because of my rebellion against God, is probably pretty high. It, it was, at least, until Christ came and wiped the slate clean. And remember, God is just. So when he wiped the slate clean, it's not like God said, okay, I'm just going to pretend that all those bad things that Ian did, yeah, those don't exist. I'm just going to, because I'm going to choose to see Ian through my Jesus goggles, right? You may have heard, you know, when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ, right? So God puts on these Jesus goggles and looks at us and says, oh, you're so wonderful. (laughs) Well, there's more to it than that, because God is just. And if God just lets us walk scot-free because of our evil, how is that justice? See, the wrath that I deserve, the wrath that I have earned, my sin has already been judged. My sin has already been punished on the cross. So when Jesus willingly went as a substitutionary sacrifice to the cross, he took the punishment of my sin so that I could walk free. But it's not that sin went unpunished. Let us never think that sin went unpunished. And so it's only because of that that God can look at me as righteous because I have, I have no wrath in store because he has forgiven me of my sin because it's already been paid for if I've chosen to receive that gift that he has offered. And so the, the big point here is that, that we, we don't deserve a pain-free life. I have not earned a pain-free life. You know, you, you hear those marketing slogans and get the night of sleep that you deserve. Come and buy our mattress. 
You know, well, I cringe every time I hear some marketing slogan with the you deserve it. It's like, you know what I deserve? I deserve to be sleeping under the bridge. That's what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. <laughs> I want God's grace and his goodness in my life. And so we do not deserve a pain-free life. That, that's another one of the fundamental errors in thinking when we blame God for allowing evil. But no, see, I have chosen evil. You have chosen evil at some point in your life. We all have chosen to go our own way, just like Adam and Eve originally did in the garden when the serpent came to them and said, oh, you can't trust God's goodness. God's holding out on you. There's something better for you, and he doesn't want you to have it, so you need to go get it without him. That's the same lie we have been believing ever since. And when I do that, who am I to say, God, this isn't right. You must not be a good God because my life isn't happy. No, see, I'm storing up wrath. So I'm getting what I, do, what I actually do deserve. The thing is, and oh, by the way, this would be a good point to, to mention. At the very bottom of the back of your Bolton insert, um, I, I put a note here. Uh, in, in the book, The Reason for God, the, the author, Tim Keller, uh, has a very effective treatment of the issue of defending God's goodness in light of the existence of evil. So if that issue is, because I can't unpack that whole issue this morning. I'll let Scott preach on that sometime. But, <laughs> but um, so we're just, we're just scratching the surface on that issue. And if, if that's got you, you know, worked up or, or um, at, uh, if you're uneasy about that issue, um, then come talk to Scott afterwards. So. <laughs> uh, but, or, or pick up this book. He, he would probably give you a copy of the book. Yeah, yeah, so not give as a gift, but he would. Yeah. I'm just going to give away your whole library. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, the, the book has a great treatment of um, God's, God's goodness in light of the existence of evil. If that's an issue that, that you uh, would be wanting to wrestle through some more. But see, the thing is, for most of us, it's not an issue of, can I understand mentally how this all works? Because most of us would say, okay, the Bible says God is good. Uh, I will believe that. But boy, how do I get it down here into my heart? Because I just don't feel it sometimes. So how can we get his goodness in our hearts, not just in our head? Well, I've got three suggestions for how we might be able to do that. The first one would be to uproot the lies and abide in his truth. It's a lie that, that Satan told Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. It's a lie. And when I was a young kid on this earth and experienced some painful circumstances, I came to believe a lie that God is not good. Now, I didn't, as a, as a four-year-old who had this and that happen, 
I didn't, I didn't say, God's not good, because he let that happen. But in my heart, there were some lies that I believe that, um, that took root. Some seeds were planted there. Um, this isn't in your notes, but we're going to turn there anyway. It's Matthew chapter 7. And this is where Jesus is encouraging his followers to pray. Matthew chapter 7 and beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. I need to ask God because, you know, like in James, it says you have not because you ask not. So to pray means to ask, and that's part of prayer is, is saying, God, can you please uh, be with this person? Can you please uh, direct my path? Can you please? We ask God, and that's good. He's encouraging us to do that. And then he goes on and gives an analogy of, of why we can trust that God will give us what we need when we ask him. And this is where I used to really get hung up. He says in verse 9, What man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf would give him a stone? Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Ah, here, have a rock. <laughs> Jesus is implying, no dad would do that. Or if he asks for a fish, he would not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. So I read that a long time ago as a kid, came to the Lord when I was 13, read this, I think a couple months after, and I thought, God, I feel like you've given me some snakes and rocks. And I know that you said that you're good, and I... I'm going to believe that, but man, I look back on my life and I see all sorts of snakes and rocks. Well, I had to come to a place where I, I willed my heart to believe that God is good. And, and I'll tell you about that a bit more in a moment. But uh, th this all being the idea that we need to uproot these lies and abide in his truth. Because when... When life caves in or blows up and tragedy happens, that can be a time when a seed of disbelief in God's goodness is planted. And that would be a lie because we know God is good. So the second tip I have for you in allowing his goodness into your heart is to spend time in his presence, basking in his goodness. A great way to do that would be in the Psalms. And, and I'll give you an example. Actually, you have it there on your, uh, on your bulletin insert. Um, one of the Psalms that, that I have found really comforting 
in terms of God's goodness, but spend time in his presence, basking in his goodness, just enjoying him and saying, God, I don't know everything about you. I don't understand your reasons, but I'm choosing to allow my heart to believe that you are good, and I just want to enjoy you. And the more we can do that, then we can absorb his goodness. And it will begin to displace those lies that we have. The third way is to ask him to show us opportunities to reflect and enjoy his goodness, right? You're made in the image of God. God is good. You have a perfect opportunity to reflect his goodness, And so people that say, oh, how can there be a good God that would allow so much suffering in the world? I wonder what they're doing to actively reflect his goodness into that dark situation. How dare I accuse God of not being good if I'm doing nothing to spread his goodness? And so we need to look for opportunities to reflect his goodness in this world. And as we do so, we can enjoy his goodness. And his goodness is all around us. We, uh, if we would stop and... I have a journal called a gratitude journal that somebody gave me a while ago. And um, it's got psalms uh, on, the, on the top heading. And then you can just go through and, as, as inspired by those psalms, just kind of journal thankfulness. And what a discipline that would be to to intentionally say, thank you, God, for your goodness in this part of my life, or this part of my life, or that part of my life. I find that it's much easier to grumble than to have gratitude. But, but I think expressing gratitude is a great antidote for grumbling. And so even if I'm not feeling gratitude, if I'm feeling grumble, maybe I can just, again, will my heart and say, I'm going to choose gratitude right now. I'm going to choose to appreciate his goodness in my life. And it might only be one little minuscule element of goodness that I can find anywhere. Maybe it's the fact that I'm able to take a breath. Maybe it's the fact that I'm able to eat a morsel of food. I was sharing with the Trekkers last week, um, taste buds. God is good because food is yummy, (laughs) right? He didn't have to give us taste buds he could have just, I mean, food could all taste like cardboard, and if we didn't know any better, we wouldn't know any better. But he gave, and there is some that does taste like cardboard, but (laughs) that's all the healthy, no, I'm joking. There's yummy, healthy food too. (laughs) But God gave us taste buds because he wants us to enjoy the taste of food. Just, that's a little, little slice of evidence of his goodness. I should take a moment when I'm eating rather than just trying to uh, ravenously devour this mountain of food in front of me. I should savor that and enjoy his goodness in these taste buds that he's given me. So there are all sorts of ways that we can uh, reflect on his goodness and reflect his goodness to the world around us. I think of Peter Uh, the apostle. The disciples were out on the the boat. There was a big storm, and Jesus wasn't with them, and they're all freaking out. Uh, Lives are at risk, and these are seasoned fishermen, and so it must have been a pretty severe storm to get them freaked out. And Jesus comes walking along on the water, 
And he says, peace be still, don't be afraid, it is I. Of course, that would probably freak him out even more, right? <laughs> and, and so Peter, he, he says, Lord, if it is you, bid me to go out with you. Wow. So he's in a boat afraid of the water, afraid of drowning. And now he says, I want to go out in the water and, and stand on it. But just a minute ago, I was paddling for my life or bailing for my life or whatever. That's a huge paradigm shift to go from being afraid of the water to wanting to go stand on it. Well, I think Jesus coming onto the scene brought about that shift in perspective. I don't know for sure, the text doesn't say, but I would not be surprised if Peter willed his heart to believe that Jesus is good. Because they could have said, like they did in other times, where were you, Lord? I mean, we're about to drown here, and don't you care about us, and you know, blah, blah, blah. But instead, he said, ooh, walking on water, can I try that? <laughs> and if he did not believe that God is good, he wouldn't have done it because that would be suicide. But he took a very courageous step of faith, fixed his eyes on Jesus, and went out on the water. So then we need to make a decision in our heart to tell our heart to believe in God's goodness, to trust ourselves completely to him like Peter did, and to surrender ourselves in a courageous faith. And I have learned, and oh, it's so hard, that's not a one-time deal. Do it, check it off the list, move on. That's, that's a lifelong event. That's a lifelong habit of willing my heart to believe that he is good and walking in that goodness towards him courageously. It's a decision that needs to be made regularly. So let's read Psalm 27, verses 11 through 14. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. This is David being plenty of foes, plenty of people assailing David, plenty of naysayers, plenty of adversaries, plenty of chaos in the world around him. Teach me your way. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. He's crying out to God. Life stinks right now. Please help. And then he shows us a little bit of what was going on inside of him. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He has hope. He's expressing hope. And he goes on. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. He's telling his heart what to do. See, and that is so countercultural today. We tend to, like, follow your heart, right? Follow your dreams. Well, sometimes my heart goes somewhere that I don't want it to go, that God doesn't want it to go. If I follow my heart whenever I want to, I'm going to end up in some bad places. There are some times when I need to say, no, heart, don't go there. Go towards Jesus. And so he's speaking to his heart, and he says, take courage, be strong. Wait for the Lord. Trust that you will see his goodness in the land of the living. It's a willful decision. The fact is, God has never failed. And he's not going to start now. We have, if we have received that gift of forgiveness, it's not just a get out of hell free card. It is an invitation to a beautiful, intimate relationship with the God that created us and loves us. And we can rest in that intimate relationship knowing that we are his and he is our God and he is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. And for some of us, that's a hard prayer to pray because we feel as though we have not experienced your goodness. And so, Lord, I would also pray thank you that you do have a reason that is beyond my comprehension. Thank you that you are faithful that you are good. Thank you for uh, showering us with your goodness that we can be filled with it and fill the lives of those around us with your goodness. Give us eyes to see your goodness in our everyday world. And if we find it lacking, help us to bring it there. In Jesus' name, amen.